0: audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at StoneOakBible.com. All right, let's dive back in together, uh, back into this incredible story. And we're working through now through the book of Genesis. and And I'm so grateful that you're here with us this morning, um, and if you're if you're new with us this morning, we we love to just work through books of the Bible together, and and we believe it's God's Word that has the power to change us, and so we love walking through Scripture. And as we've been doing that, we've made it all the way up to the twenty fifth chapter of Genesis. So, if you have your Bibles, uh, would you grab them? Would you turn with me? to chapter 25 and and we're going to start today in in verse 19. Now as we have um as we've said before, we're shifting gears a little bit in in our story. Uh see we just have have seen in in the text the the death of Abraham and Sarah and that faith baton being passed on to Isaac and to Rebecca, and so we're going to just pick right up from there. And, and I, just a warning for us, um, we have a fun road ahead of us. Uh, this text is, is so relatable, uh, so applicable. And um, my prayer for us this morning, the, the prayer that I have been praying for us all week for our time together is, is that we would leave here this morning... Different than when we came in. I know that's a big prayer. Um, But our God is a big God. And he still changes lives. And that's not too big of a prayer. That's my prayer for us today. So with that in mind, uh, let's pick up in our text right in verse 19. Verse 19 says, these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padan Aram, doing the best I can, all right, (laughs) Um, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. It was... It was all like it should be, right? The people of God, covenant people, continuing on, everything's downhill, right? From here. Wrong. As we see in our text, Isaac and Rebekah shared something in common with Abraham and Sarah. They shared something in common. That was this. They were unable to have kids. They were unable to have children. And so again, if we're just taking all this in, right? God, what on earth are you doing? You promised to, to make us, your people, as numerous as the stars. You promised to multiply us, to bless us. And yet, you are O for two. Both of the first two couples have been unable to have children. God, what are you doing in this? But in the midst of this, I love, I love Isaac and Rebecca's response. I love what they do here. And just for for contrast, if you remember what Sarah and Abraham did when they faced this challenge of not being able to have kids. If you think back to Genesis 16, when they were faced with the same problem, they decided to go make their own plans and they chose to go find, hey, hey, grab Hagar, right? Make their own plans to make their To make it possible they kind of took things in their own hands and we saw the pain we saw the struggle that that caused. But let's contrast that here with what we see from Isaac and Rebecca let's see what they do in verse 21 it says and Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife. Because she was barren and the Lord granted his prayer and Rebecca his wife conceived. Isaac comes to the Lord pleads with the Lord, praise to the Lord. Lord, would you intervene here? And the Lord does. He does it, and Rebecca gets pregnant. Uh, but at this point, things start to go kind of not according to the plan, <laughs> which I could not help. Think about how relatable this is. Have you ever prayed, God, would you answer my prayer? And then you stop and you think, wait, 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 wait not only would you answer my prayer, but maybe could you answer my prayer in my way. (laughs) I mean, thank you for answering my prayer, but you were supposed to do it like this. You were supposed to answer me this way. It wasn't supposed to be like this. It was in this moment in in our text that, that God answers Isaac's prayer. But then things don't fully go according to Isaac's plan. Verse 22, the children struggled, children being plural, struggled together within her, and she said, if it is this, why is this happening to me? If this is your plan, God, since you answered my prayer, why is this happening to me? Now, being pregnant is challenging enough. I mean, I haven't been pregnant personally, but um, I have heard it's challenging enough without twins warring each other against each other in the womb. Right. And so Rebecca is thinking, what on earth is happening inside of me right now? This is crazy. Why is this happening to me? And she's calling out to God and notice she does exactly what Isaac does. She goes to the Lord. I love this. You see this both in Isaac and Rebecca, as imperfect as they are. You see both of them go to the Lord, and you see both of their their faiths demonstrated here as they go to the Lord. And she says, Lord, why is this happening? Verse 22, she went in to inquire of the Lord. Verse 23, and the Lord said to her, listen to this. Two nations are in your womb. And two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. And the older shall serve the younger. And again this wasn't the plan, Lord. We prayed to have a child, but but this this is complicated. This was not what we were thinking. This is not the way that we wanted you to answer our prayer. Two nations are in her womb, representing two people that will be divided. That's a hard message to hear as a mom. And how odd is the last statement here that the Lord gives. It's the older that is in the favored position traditionally in the family, right? It's the firstborn who typically receives the place of respect. That's just the way it was done in this culture. But here, here, the Lord flips it upside down. And he says, look, I have a plan and I will accomplish that plan in my sovereignty and in my way, and the older will serve The younger. Verse 24, when her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb, (laughs) right? The brothers who were fighting in the womb were now ready to come out and, and to wrestle together, fight together in the open air, right? Now, listen to this. This is just craziness. The first came out red what? Verse 25, the first came out red, (laughs) all his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. That is a, you gotta, you gotta just laugh a little bit because that right there is a strange description. It's like this furry red ball of hair, right? It's just so strange. I would have loved to have seen a picture of this Child. Now, I know parents. Um, we we all think that that our baby is beautiful, right? The most beautiful baby to ever be a baby, right? But here <laughs> with Esau, you have to wonder: were they like, oh, uh, oh, okay, that is a red hairball, right? You have to wonder what was going on in their mind, right? With a description like this. So Esau comes out first, and then in verse 26, we meet his brother. Afterward, his, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Now, Jacob is a fitting name that has a double meaning. It means heel grabber, the one who grabs the heel. That's fitting, right? But it also means the cheat, the deceiver, the one who deceives and works in deception. And as we will see, church, that is fitting as well. But here they are. The brothers are born. Our text says that Isaac was 40 years old when, when they were born. And, and here they are in all, of their, in all of their glory. Now, let's fast forward in our story for time here. And let's see how these brothers turn out. Verse 27, when the brothers grew up. Here we go. Esau. Was a skillful, skillful hunter, a man of the field. Uh, he was a he was a manly man, right? Uh, burly and bearded and fluffy and red, right? <laughs> you know how I picture him. Oh, I, I debated whether or not to include this. I'm going to. Um, how many have seen the movie How to Train Your Dragon? Yeah. And we have some of our kiddos in with us this morning. How many of you have? Have seen it? Yeah, yeah. Um, Okay. Do you remember in this movie the big, burly dad in the movie? uh, Stoic the Vast. You remember him? Anyone? Well, in case you don't, here's a picture. You see that? Now that, church, that's how I picture Esau. That right there. Anyone else? Now, as a dad of three boys, honestly, this was the very first thing that came to my mind when I read this description here in our text. <laughs> right there. With that in mind, now let's uh, let's let's look at his brother. The text says, while Jacob was a quiet man, dwelling in <laughs> in tents. So you have burly outdoorsmen. Esau outside doing manly things hunting and eating off the land right um, let's show that picture of Esau just so we get it there we go right right he, he's there's Esau and then you have Jacob a man of the great indoors who enjoys a a good book on the on the couch with a cold glass of milk and some cookies and a good a good blanket right? Now, I found this picture. I literally Googled man sitting on the couch, reading a book in a blanket. And this is what came up. (laughs) No offense to this guy, by the way. I have nothing against this man, young man reading here. I love reading. But what we have to see here is the great contrast between these two brothers. We have very two different uh, brothers here, right? And then in verse Twenty-eight it says Esau loved Jacob because he ate of his game, uh, but Rebecca—or let me rephrase that—Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebecca loved Jacob. And by the way, favoritism just does not go well, and and you can see, uh, you can start to see the writing on the wall for this conflict. And our text doesn't waste any time in getting to the first conflict. And here's what I'd like for us to do. I'd like for us to spend the rest of our time uh, digging through this next part of our text this morning. And what I'll do is I'm going to read this all the way through. Then we will step back and we'll work through it together. So, So listen to this. Verse 29. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau... Came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, Let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Jacob said, Sell me your birthright now, Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? So Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. thus Esau despised his birthright. All right, let's work through this one together. First of all, uh, neither brother comes out looking particularly great here, right? Um, both brothers leave us thinking, oh, come on now, right? Uh, but this morning, we're going to spend our time looking at Esau. We're going to spend our time with Esau. Now, there is a lot to say here about Jacob, and we're going to spend a great deal of time on him later but for this time this morning i'd like for us to focus on esau because i think that there is something here that we need to see together because in esau church we're able to see what the flesh looks like what our flesh looks like we're able to see what it looks like and and what happens when we obey the flesh when we live by our desires and our passions and Esau we are able to see our own tendencies and we are able to see the great scheme of our enemy first when we see the story we we see right off the bat Esau was a carnal man what I mean by that is Esau was a man who was driven by his appetite. He was, he was working out in the field all day long. He was tired. He was angry. He was hungry. And in our house, we call this hanger, and it's real, right? Esau was hangry. And in this hanger was going to cloud his judgment. He makes this statement I'm about to die. If you don't give me some, some of that food, what good is a birthright going to do me? I'm hungry. And as we read this, you have to kind of read in a bit of a whiny voice because you see the, the, the dramatic plea in this. Now, he was there was no way that he was literally on the brink of death. He spent a day out working in the, the field, not 40 days, right? He, he's not emaciated here. But yes, the man was hungry, and yes, he was really hungry, and yes, the man was tired, and yes, the stew smelled delicious. But it just blows my mind how easily he was ready to sacrifice his birthright for a bowl of stew. It is shocking until, until, of course, I'm able to see myself in him. Until I'm able to see some of my choices, some of my actions. Until I'm able to think back on some of the ways that I have been willing to sacrifice so much for something so foolish. And when I think about that, it becomes less shocking and it becomes more relatable. He sells his birthright for a bowl of stew. Now... um, a birthright in this culture was very important. And for the most part, we don't have a true apples to apple to apple apples comparison here. Right? But but in this culture, the birthright is all of the rights and the privileges that were granted to the firstborn. This was especially important in more wealthy and prominent families. The birthright was that right of the firstborn, to claim those special rights and privileges as the firstborn, right? And if you just think about that, think about that in light of Genesis. God came to Abraham, called him, gave him a promise, a people, a kingdom, a family that will outnumber the stars. Then he provides Isaac. The line continues. The blessing continues through Isaac. And then the Lord provides Isaac and Rebekah, twins of which Esau was the firstborn here. He was the one in the line of the birthright. He had a unique claim and part of this unfolding story, there was a, an incredible significance and meaning with the birthright in the people of God. This was huge yet. It was sold off for a bowl of lentil stew. What good is that promise? What good is that birthright if I'm when I'm hungry, right? So he sells his birthright for a bowl of stew. And I have to ask you, church. As we read this, we have to ask, was it worth it? And of course you know the answer to that. Sin is never worth it. Sin never delivers on its promises. Satisfying the flesh by sacrificing what is right is never worth it. I mean, just read verse 34. Again, he, he, after he eats and he drinks, he rises up, he leaves, and then it says, thus Esau despised his birthright, meaning he was careless with it. He showed disdain for it, uh, showed contempt for it. He undervalued it. This was a massive moment in Esau's life and story. One commentator says Esau's decision here in this text regarding his religious heritage disqualified him to succeed his father. This was big. This was a a moment that so many other biblical authors are going to pick up on. I don't know if you realize this, but Esau is talked about a lot in Scripture. Uh, One example, just a quick example, this is Hebrews 12. Hebrews, the, the writer of Hebrews says, See to it that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. And the writer of Hebrews continues, he says, For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. You hear that? Can you relate to that? The scripture here picks up on the regret that comes with a carnal decision. The regret that comes from obeying the flesh when we give in to hunger. And once that hunger is satisfied and we're able to think more clearly, we realize the foolish thing that we have done. Is that not how sin works, church? Our flesh longs for it and in our weakened state we give in. Yet once we have given in, we then understand and we see that it did not satisfy and we are left with nothing but the regret for our choice. Have you been there? Have you been there? You don't have to turn with me here. I'm going to have us bouncing around here in 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 a moment, but... I can't help but be reminded of Genesis 3 back in the garden with Adam and Eve, right? Adam and Eve were deceived similar to the way Jacob deceived Esau. The serpent deceives them and tells them, you know, God really, he didn't mean that. That's not what is going to happen. We read Genesis 3 verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes that the tree was desired to make one wise. When she saw that stew looked good, right? She took of it and ate and also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And listen to this. Then the eyes of both were, were opened and they knew that they were naked. In other words, there was a shame, there was a regret that, that settled in when they saw, when they realized what they had done. They realized and they saw that they were naked. And then we read that they then hide or try to hide, which never works well, but they try to hide from God. There is this lust of the eyes and lust of the flesh that draws us and lies to us and promises satisfaction that it can never deliver. When you try to satisfy it, you're left empty and you're left filled with regret. You are left with nothing more than the consequences of your choice. And that is exactly what happened with Adam and Eve. And that is exactly what happens with all of the sons and the daughters of Adam and Eve. And this is exactly, church, what happened here with Esau. Church, sin causes us to take what is of most value and to trade it in for a quick and a cheap pleasure. Sin causes us to take what is of most value and to trade it in for something lesser. And in those moments of weakness, we in our flesh struggle to see beyond the moment of pleasure We're nearsighted and we make terrible decision after decision in our attempt to satisfy the immediate and the temporary desires of the flesh. Again, church, let me say this again. Sin causes us to take what is of most value and to trade it in for something lesser. And church, there is nothing that the enemy of your soul would want more than for you to take that deal, for you to take that trade. And that, church, reminds me of another text, and this one I'm going to ask you to turn with me here to your New Testament, to the, the book of Luke, chapter 4. The parallels here are incredible. If you're using one of our Bibles, it's page 859. All right, let's see here the parallel parallels and, and the contrast between Esau, In our text in Genesis 25 and Christ in Luke chapter 4, verse 1 of Luke 4 says this, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. Does that sound familiar, church? Right? Remember Esau coming in from that field. He was tired. He was hungry. He was exhausted. Right? And now here, same thing. We have Jesus coming in hungry, tired, and exhausted. But listen to this. The devil said to him, if you're the son of God, command those stones to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. The devil comes to him, ha- ha- have some stew, right? Now the temptation's not done, the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and in a moment of time and said to him, I will give you, or I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Sell me that birthright, this stew is good, right? Right? Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Incredibly, we're we're not done here. The, the enemy is not done here. There is more. He took him to Jerusalem, in verse 9, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Each and every moment, church, Jesus refused to make the deal with the devil. He refused the deal. Listen, he was tired, he was hungry, he was hangry, his flesh was weak. The devil came to him, church, in a moment of weakness, saying, if you make this deal with me, I will make that weakness go away. I will satisfy your hunger. I will give you power. All you have to do is make this deal with me. And again, just like Esau, the offer came. When he was tired, when he was hungry, when his flesh was weak. Just like Esau, he said, look, if you make this deal, I'll make it all end. I'll give you the delicious stew, right? But can you just see the difference, the contrast between these two texts? For Esau, Esau was unable to look beyond his circumstance, beyond his hunger and the desire of his flesh overcame him. But as we read Luke 4, we see Jesus, who was able to look beyond the moment, beyond the moment of weakness and hunger, and he was able to overcome the flesh with truth. Truth, Hear me, because this is huge. Hear me. Our enemy is clever. He is crafty, but he doesn't have any new tricks. Church, he uses the same tricks over and over and over and over again. He used the same trick in the garden with the first Adam. He used the—he tried to use the same trick in the wilderness with the second Adam, Jesus Christ. And in our text, he uses the same trick with Esau. He uses the moments, church, when you are at your weakest, hungriest, most tired, most discouraged. He uses those moments. He targets those moments to try to get us to exchange the truth, to exchange what we know is right, to exchange the truth of God's word for a momentary fix. Listen, this is the enemy's game plan. This is the attack of the enemy on you and its tactics. They have not changed. And because of that, I want to finish our time together this morning by digging into this important question. What now? So what, what are we to do? What are we to do now? In response to this text, what are we to do? So I want to ask you to turn with me to one more place this morning. Just a few more pages to your right in your Bible from Luke. Would you turn over with me to the book of Galatians? This is on page 975 for any that are using our Bibles, one of our Bibles this morning. Listen, what are we to do? We know the tactics of our enemy, and we also know the weaknesses of our flesh. So what are we to do? What are we to do so that we're able to follow the example of Christ in Luke 4 rather than the example of Esau in Genesis 25? What are we to do? Look with me at Galatians 5, and let's pick up in verse 16. Listen to this, church. But I say... Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Let me read that again, because I I, I do believe that God's Word just gave us an answer. We ask, what are we to do? We know the tactic of our enemy. We know the weakness of our flesh, so what are we to do? Well, God's Word says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And listen to this, verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. And for these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Now, can you relate to that? The flesh will keep you from doing the things you want to do. That is what the flesh does. The flesh, the spirit, they're opposed to each other. Church, there is a war going on right now. And I want you to listen to this, verse 19. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before. That those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. Against such things, there is no law. And listen to this in those who belong to Christ Jesus, have crucified. The, the flesh with its passions and desires. Church, that right there is the call of God on your life as a follower of Jesus. So let me ask it again. What are we to do? What are we to do? We know the tactic tactics of our enemy. We know the weakness of our flesh. So what are we to do? Well, this scripture gives us two things that I want us to see this morning. The first is this. Walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. And what does that look like? I want to give you a a great definition here. I believe this is so good. This is not original to me. This is a definition that John Piper writes on in his work um, on the Holy Spirit. And there there are certain things that I read or that I hear that I just think, Whoo! now that was good. That was a gift of God to the rest of us, right? This is one of those things. So in light of Adam in Genesis 3, in light of Esau in Genesis 25, in light of Jesus in Luke 4, and in light of your life today, listen to this definition. Walking by the Spirit is what we do when the desires produced by the Spirit are stronger than the desires produced by the flesh. Church, let's look at that again. All right. Listen to this. Walking by the Spirit is what we do when the desires produced by the Spirit are stronger than the desires produced by the flesh. Now take this in, because listen, church, the Christian life walking by the Spirit, hear me, it is not a life lived just denying everything. Walking in the Spirit is not a life lived just saying no to everything that you want to do. It's not like, come to Jesus and never get to do anything you ever want to do ever again. Come to Jesus and and say no to all the joy of life. That is not the call of Christ. That is not what walking in the Spirit looks like, like. Walking in the Spirit is not a life of depravity, of rules, of do's, and of don'ts, and for too long, church. This is the Christianity that has been preached. But that is not what Scripture says about walking in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit is not saying no to all of our desires. Church, it is instead, it is instead saying yes to stronger desires, the desires of the Spirit. It is giving in to the greater things that the Spirit is doing in you. Walking in the Spirit is a life of joy, church. It is walking with Jesus in such a way that our hearts and our desires begin to change. That is conversion That is being made new in Christ. My prayer this morning, as I said at the beginning, was that you and I would leave here different people. And that is exactly what our God does. He puts in us desires that are greater, that are better, that are stronger. And walking in the Spirit is saying yes to those desires. When we desire, we crave, we long for different things. And when our flesh is weak, we through the spirit of God in our lives are not able to lose sight of those deeper and stronger desires. In other words, hear me, sure, that stew will, would be delicious, but my birthright means more. Sure, the works of the flesh, like, like was listed in Galatians, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. Idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Sure, things like these may pull for our attention in moments of our weakness. But as we walk in the Spirit, the Spirit is drawing our hearts to deeper passions like love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. Piper goes on to say, the life we live in Christ, we owe wholly to the work of God's Spirit in us. Church, you and I are going to face times of weakness. We're going to face times, moments when our flesh is going to want to be gratified. You and I are going to face times exactly like Esau. And I guarantee, I guarantee that you, that I, that we are not perfect yet. In other words, I guarantee it is a safe bet, church. I guarantee that your flesh is weak. but just as I guarantee that your flesh is weak, I can say with equal confidence, I can guarantee that the Spirit is not, that the Spirit is strong, that we are called to follow the example of Jesus indwelled by the Holy Spirit to walk in the Spirit. And although our flesh is weak, He is strong. That is walking in the Spirit, church. And that is what we are called to do. The second thing we see here, the first is we walk in the Spirit. The second thing here is this, church. We put the flesh to death. I want you to listen to these words that we read the last verse in verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified, have crucified the flesh with with its passions and desires. Put to death the flesh, crucify the flesh. Church, to put the flesh to death, to crucify the flesh. You and I need to call sin for what it is. See it for what it is. Recognize the seriousness of it by repenting. And then listen, church, by the grace of God, kill it by starving it. Reject it, starve it, refuse it, don't feed it. We are are not a people who are perfect. We are not a people who are sinless. But we are a people who are not content in our sin. We are a people that fight against it, war against it, kill it. We don't tolerate sin in ourselves. We don't live with it. We don't accept it. We don't snuggle up to it. We don't make provisions for it. No, church. In Christ, for the glory of God, we kill it. We put on Christ and we put to death our sin. We walk in the Spirit and we crucify our flesh. Again, church, we will face Esau moments, moments when our flesh and its desires come on strong, when that stew just smells and looks so Good, that is, this is the way our enemy works. But through Jesus Christ and through the Spirit working in us, we have been given greater desires for greater things. My prayer this morning is that we walk out of this place having our affections stirred by the Spirit of God for those greater things. That is the Spirit doing a work on us, in us, strengthening us, changing us, and then we, by the glory of God, the grace of God, are able to walk with him in that. Let's pray. Lord, by your grace, by your strength, Would you help us to walk in your spirit and put to death the works of our flesh? In Jesus' name, amen.